Good morning. When I came to visit, in view of a call last September, Keith, our deacon, said, if I do get called to be the preaching teaching elder, you would get me a new microphone. I got one one year later. So thank you for fulfilling that promise to me, which I accidentally broke this morning, but I think it's going to be just fine. I, anyway, thank you. It feels better. Uh, we are coming to a conclusion in our uh, The Doctrine of the Church series, and we have two more uh, sermons on elders, part one and part two. And after that, as Jordan said, we will preach on uh, part of the vision of the elders, and then soon after that, we will begin Genesis 1. Today, we're going to be in 1 Timothy 2, 11, 3 through 15, but specifically on one portion of, uh, of the entire passage. I've been gone for a few weeks, and if you're noticing, this is the first time I don't think I've worn, worn a watch in the pulpit, because I heard Ray preach for like over an hour. So, I'm free to preach as long as I want today, but it will not be an hour. But anyway, I no longer need a watch, so sky's the limit. Anyway, it, it, just to uh, kind of reiterate, recap, um, bring, us, bring us back into this series, the DNA of the church, uh, to refresh our memories from a few weeks back, last time I preached, we looked at Paul's letter to Titus specifically verses 4 through 9 in chapter 1, as well as some other New Testament passages in order to see that all churches in the New Testament either already had elders or the churches were told to appoint elders. Those men, the elders, would be charged with teaching, shepherding, and protecting the flock as well as overseeing the affairs of the church. They were to be solid men for Christ who would be faithful to preserve the apostolic teachings, the New Testament, what we have as the New Testament. And they also would protect the church from false teachings that were contrary to sound doctrine. A few subpoints we, we saw that churches should also have a plurality of elders, not just one, and that an elder or overseer or pastor are not three separate offices in the church, but rather they are three functions of one office or three roles for one elder, one person. And finally, the purpose Titus was told to appoint elders, or the reason Paul told Titus to appoint elders was in order to establish and maintain order in the local church. He said that that command implies that God desires orderliness and not chaos in the local church. So across Scripture, the Bible teaches us that God is a God who creates, designs, He structures all things for His purposes. And that includes the body of Christ, the church. 
today we are going to look at 1 Timothy 2 and 3 to answer the question, can women serve as elders? Now, there's no reason to leave any suspense, so I'll just come right out and say the Bible says no. God's word does not permit a woman to serve as an elder. And the Bible, we will get into it in this passage, the Bible will provide the reasoning for that. Along with that, though, we will see that the Bible does not forbid women from serving the local church in many other capacities, which even includes teaching. And finally, we will argue, I will argue, contrary to our culture's belief, Outside of Christ, the local church is the greatest champion of women. I hope you believe that, and we should be. I know we aren't always viewed as that way, and some of those are self-inflicted wounds. But outside of Christ championing women and his creation of the woman, the local church is the greatest champion of women. By the way, my daughter Violet wants to be a preacher. She loves to play preaching at home, and I've had to break this to her, and she is sad. So it's probably good that I'm preaching on it on a day she's not here. <laughs> oh, whoops. All right, 1 Timothy 2, starting in verse 11. The Apostle Paul writes, A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve, and Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be preserved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, a one-woman man, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping, in, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil." Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first. Then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Women, likewise, must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons... Each be a one-woman man, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons 
gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon. But I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Heavenly Father, God, I pray that you would bless your people by blessing the proclamation of your word. God, don't just, we don't just ask that you would create hearts that would submit to one portion of the text, but you would create hearts in us, Lord, that submit to the entirety, to all of the text, to whenever we come to a portion of your word that we don't like, that we disagree with, or, or that, that, that culture may persecute us over, or slander us over, reject us over, that our heart would be content with thus saith the Lord. God, bring us to that place, Lord. We ask this to the glory of Christ's name. Amen. Well, did I put? Point one, context is key when interpreting the Bible. In 1 Timothy 2, the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy just as he did to Titus. And that's from the get-go of chapter 2. His goal is to instruct Timothy about the structure and orderliness God desires for every local church. Most of 1 Timothy is about impressing matters regarding how the people of God, as the church of God, are required to conduct themselves. And Paul instructs Timothy about prayer, modesty and modest apparel, qualifications for leaders, instructions about serving widows, handling controversy such as disunity and false teaching, and the list just goes on and on and on. Along with that, the Apostle Paul tells Timothy the purpose of all these instructions that we see in verse 14 and 15 of chapter 3, Paul says, I'm writing these things to you so that, so that, here's the purpose, Timothy, so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church. Timothy, this is what God desires for every local church. It's what the letter is about. It's important to know what the letter of Timothy is about because as one of my professors slash mentors, well, he didn't say to me, he actually wrote it in a book, but I think he said it to me a few times, understanding the literary structure of each book in the Bible, it's 50% of being able to interpret what it means. In other words, if, if we can properly establish the structure of any book in the Bible, especially this letter, i.e. The, the way Paul arranges his letter to Timothy, then we will be much safer in our attempt to understand a text like we're trying to today. Once we've completed that task, 
once we've established the, the tool to understand, well, what is, what is the entire book about? What is the structure of the book? What's Paul getting at? Once we've, once we've established that, and that Paul is writing to Timothy, so that the young man can help shape and mold local churches into what God desires for them, when you establish that, then we have a foundation we can use to help understand verses that such as women cannot teach men or exercise authority over them. <laughs> I doubt if it comes as any surprise that these two verses have created so much controversy even, well, and division, even among evangelicals, among Christians. One commentator said it is widely agreed by biblical scholars that these two verses, verses 11 and 12, are the most debated verses out of all of Paul's letters. And for the record, I know there are other churches who place women in pastoral roles. That doesn't make it right. We must not attempt to justify our practices by using other churches' practices as examples, as examples to vindicate ourselves. Especially if their practices are contrary to sound doctrine. So I hope, it, the, the point is, I don't care what other churches are doing. I care what the Bible instructs churches to be doing. And that's where we substantiate our claims from. Not the examples of other churches. So let's look at the text. Point one, the role of an elder was given to men only. Look at verses 11 through chapter 3, 2. A woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. And Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. But women will be preserved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of an overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach. One woman man, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. Obviously, the emphasis today is on the gender roles of being an elder. Next week, we will focus on the specific character qualifications of the overseer, elder, pastor. If you're looking at your Bibles, physical copies, not the screen, many of you will see that the heading between chapters 2 and 3 says qualifications for an overseer or a pastor or something of that nature. And subheadings and chapter divisions can be useful when reading the Bible. As long as we don't forget, they weren't written that way by the biblical authors. We have to remember that a subheading or the start of a new chapter is not always the beginning of a new thought. Therefore, as we seek to understand a difficult passage in the Bible, such as this, it is always necessary to read what came before and after the passage we are trying to interpret. Now, that just goes in your self-Bible reading. 
your individual Bible reading. In this case, we should ask what precedes, what precedes, and what proceeds, verses 11 through 15 in chapter 2. I didn't put it on the screen, but preceding is a short behavioral repertoire for Christian women in the church. And proceeding are qualifications for an overseer. And one of the qualifications for an elder, the main qualification we're focusing on today, is in verse 2, that they are able to teach. An elder must be able to teach. The qualification is vitally important for an elder and to the church because that being an elder and that role carries with it a teaching authority. The elders are men chosen by God to study the scriptures, to present it to the congregation, and to call the congregation to submit their lives unto it. And it is that type of teaching authority that, that comes, well, that only the elder is given in the church. Paul tells Timothy in verses 11 through 12, women are not permitted to have that role, to have that teaching authority. Not over the entire congregation. Now, I've heard all types of ways evangelicals, or if I say evangelical, I'm just saying Christians, have tried to do gymnastics with this passage in order to allow women to be pastors. Usually, they never deal with the actual text in front of them, and instead, they simply insert their own ideas into the text. That's called eisegesis. My personal, I'm not laughing because it's funny, I'm laughing because this person was serious. My personal favorite example was right before we moved to, my family and I moved to Leavenworth, a man who believed women could be pastors told me the reason that they were prohibited to be pastors in this passage we're going through today was because they weren't smart enough in the first century. That's a true story. I was like, wait, so what you're telling me is Paul wrote this because women weren't intelligent in the first century. That's why, good and, and that ideology is the champion of women? When did they become intelligent? It's a, that's offensive, right? But, you know, that's, that's my favorite one just because it's, <laughs> I don't know how I came to that conclusion. Anyway, on a more reasonable level, I've seen a few churches that uh, they don't allow women to be pastors, but they will allow them to preach. And the way that they kind of vindicate that or justify that is the, the women, they say the women who they're allowing to preach are still submitting under the authority of the elders. Hmm. Here's my response to that. The authority, the, the biblical God-given authority to the elders in this passage 
It's not to allow, right? It's to prohibit women from exercising that type of teaching authority. We, we don't get to use our authority in order to allow things that are prohibited. In fact, it's a part of the responsibility of having authority or be given the responsibility of, of that authority is to make sure that we never go beyond its limitations. Even when it's not popular. So the, the role of an elder... It is male only. This is what the passage means. The women aren't permitted to have that teaching authority. But here's what the passage doesn't mean, which would be good for us to go for or go through. It does not mean a woman cannot speak in church. It does not mean a woman cannot teach in church. It does not mean a woman must submit to every male in the church. And it does not mean a man cannot learn from a woman in the church. Women should teach in the local church, Titus 2, 3 through 4. I have the passage right, yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Paul tells Titus, women are not only permitted, but they're actually commanded to teach. And their students are right here. Who are the students? The, main, the primary students are younger women. And the curriculum is laid out for the teachers. Paul gives us a syllabus right here in Titus 2, 3 and 4. Here's a syllabus. Teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands. As a side note, if you thought society or culture may have a disdain for women being prohibited from holding the office of an elder, post that curriculum on social media and wait on the reaction. Now, here's my challenge for the older women. I don't have an age range, just... Here's the challenge. Are you investing in the younger women? to help encourage them and provide wisdom in these manners. I can tell you from, well, I can't, from experience, I can tell you from speaking to younger women, they want that. They want older women with wisdom, godliness, faithfulness to the Lord to pour into them. And whether or not you know it, loved ones, the, you the older women, you matter to the younger generations. And, and, and for that matter, you are vitally important to the entire body of Christ. Every, the last kind, every 
woman here is vitally important to the body of Christ. As women, you, also, you help disciple men, even pastors. And Paul tells Timothy in his second letter to him, he says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Louis and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded now lives in you also. Paul credits the faith of Timothy, his, who, who he says in his letters, my true son in the faith. I have no one like you. He credits that man's faith in discipleship and just growing up. To who? Timothy's grandmother and his mother. Now that's very personal to me because I credit my faith to my great aunt Vi and my great aunt Mary. I can assure you I've never met another man on this earth who loved the Lord more than those two women. Nobody has had a greater impact on my walk with the Lord than my Aunt Mary. Not even Alistair Begg, who I quote three times a day probably. Nobody on this earth can give me a stick a stiff kick in the behind like my Aunt Mary can. And I always need it, even if I thought I didn't prior to talking to her. My wife, she can give me a stiff kick in the behind when I need it. It's probably why they like each other so much. She's met my Aunt Mary. She loves my Aunt Mary. She spent time with her, and, and she says that my Aunt Mary reminds her of Elizabeth Elliot, who, who I'm certain most of us, if not all of us, are well aware of. If not, get on some Elizabeth Elliot. I should have said that differently. It would be impossible to know the countless number of men that someone like Elizabeth Elliot has had an effect on, has had an impact on. And we know her husband, Jim, gave his life for the gospel. But it's her books we read, right? And it's her teachings that we listen to. So yes, yeah, so, 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 so while women may be prohibited from being an elder, you're not forbidden from shaping the lives of the men who you love. And you're shaping the lives of men that you don't even know that you're doing just by being faithful to what you're called to do. When I was, left my previous church, before I came here, it was a hard time to understand exactly who I was, because if I wasn't a pastor, preacher, elder, I, I didn't really know who I was. I got some really good counsel from the church that I was attending. One of the elders reminded me, in the Gospel of Luke, where the the disciples, the apostles, they're, they're, they're coming back rejoicing about all the miraculous things they can do, that they've been gifted to do. And Jesus' response to that is, don't rejoice that you are able to do these things. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Loved ones, we don't find our identity in being an elder. We find our identity in the book of life that Jesus Christ died and paid our price for. 
That is where we find our contentment and fulfillment. Point three, God mandated gender roles at creation. Picking back up in verse 11, a woman should learn in quietness and full submission. I do not permit a woman to teach or to assume authority over a man. She must be quiet. For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Adam was not the one deceived. It was the woman who was deceived and became a sinner. Now we should answer the question. The reason Paul gives that prohibits women from being an elder. From having that role in teaching authority. And we get it. We get the reason. It's grounded in verse 13. Paul says, For Adam was formed first, then Eve. Paul says, first of all, most of all, the reason is because that's the way God designed it. When did the church become a group of people that needed more of an answer? Then that's the way God designed it. Is he Lord? Is he creator? Is it thus saith the Lord? Why, why do we always need that qualified with more? Because God said so. That's why. Paul grounds his argument on the basis of the created order which God created men first. And that God designed men and women to have different roles. And his, his, Paul's reasoning goes, he, like, he goes all the way back to Genesis. He says, here's why. Because Adam was created first, then Eve. And that was the divine mandated structure for leadership in the home. When we get into Genesis, we'll elaborate more on that. In a little bit today. Paul says, listen, this was, this was the structure of leadership that God designed for the home. Now Paul says to Timothy, and guess what? That also extends into the local church. The local church must never refuse nor retreat from the biblical teaching that the male was created with the responsibility to lead his family. Loved ones, that has never changed. The male still has that responsibility. Husbands and fathers, we will be held accountable to God for how we lead our families. The world has a big problem with that mandate, though. They don't like a woman or a wife being taught to submit to a man or their husband. They claim that that ideology is misogynistic and that it's a significant part of the problem with our society. I would propose this question, though. Cornerstone, do you believe... The significant problem with our society is that men are too busy leading their families as God's intended and instructed us to do? Or 
is a greater problem with society that families have been suffering because male leadership has been neglected. I went to seminary in Louisville, Kentucky. When I began, I started serving in a church on the west side of town. And one of the reasons I went and served there was a statistic that burned in me concerning dads in the home. On the west side of Louisville, three out of every four homes grow up without a dad in the house. That means only 25% of children, which is one out of every four kids, have a daddy in their home. Statistically speaking, I'm, I think we're probably doing better than that in the Upper Valley. It's something we still... A dad can, a dad can live in the... He can live in his home and still not be present in the life of his family or in the life of his children. And as Christians, we have been given those precious gifts, the blessings of our children in order that they would learn from us what it looks like to follow Jesus Christ with the whole heart. And to the men, to be manly, Full submission to Christ is what it means to be a man. That is the foundation of leading our families. So I would ask you again, is the problem with our modern households, the overusage of biblical leadership, male biblical leadership in the home? Or is the problem of our society just a complete neglect of that appointed role that God designed for men? Male headship is a good thing. It's a God-ordained thing. And when it functions properly, the home will be a joyful place for the entire family. And the same is true in the local church. Therefore, Paul says to Timothy, appoint men as the elders, but appoint men who live a life in full submission to Christ. And we'll talk about that next week. One final point. The church champions women. <coughs> Verse 15, but women will be preserved. Your translation may be saved. I think preserved kind of gets to it less confusingly. But women will be preserved through childbearing if they continue in faith, love, and holiness with propriety. Paul says, ladies, don't find your worth in the ability to be an elder. Your value should be found in Christ alone. And we already said, that doesn't change for men or women. And personally, I, I can't even imagine the amount of pressure put on our Christian women by society's standard of what a woman is supposed to look like. And quite frankly, even as a man, I'm exhausted about hearing about it. I'm, I'm, I'm worn out by yet another book or another article regurgitating how the church oppresses women and is bad for women and it's outdated for women, etc., etc., etc. Some churches are. That's true. Some churches do all of that. 
Not all. And not every church. And I'm sorry if that's happened to you. I can assure you the men that I know serving as elders here are not those types of men. They're not, there's not a local church that oppresses women. And there's, there's hundreds and thousands of other churches that, that are faithful to champion women. There's no other organization on earth that champions women more than the bride of Jesus Christ. First of all, we are the only group of people that believe the worth of a woman is not determined by what she does, but rather who she is. Her worth is based solely on the magnificence of what God has created. And we are the only group that affirms a woman has nothing to prove or accomplish in order to define her greatness. She is marvelous because she's been created in the image of God. And, 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 and she cannot be recreated in any image that's greater than that. Secondly, we exalt our mothers. Love our mothers who, we praise our mothers who, who give entirely of themselves to selflessly raise their children, our children. Instead of a culture who cheers for the women who give up their children in order to be exalted. What's the toughest job on earth? It's a mo- you knew where I was going with that one. mother a stay-at-home mother which has somehow became an embarrassment to say when someone asks you a a mother and wife well what do you do I'm a stay-at-home mother oh is that all you do well to quote Alistair Begg whenever you hear someone say is that all you do to a stay-at-home mother you can be assured that person has never done the job of a stay-at-home mother And this is Paul's encouragement and exhortation to women here. And he says, sisters in Christ, don't think you need to be a teaching elder to find fulfillment. And nor is there anything in this world that can provide fulfillment. It's all lies. It's all a facade. It's fake. There's no substance. Why? Why is there no substance in what society says? Because the way that God designed you and women to have true fulfillment is what Paul is saying. It will come through childbearing. It will come through growing in your faith in Christ. It will come through loving others. It will come through holiness and having a sense of propriety. Is there, I mean, is there any... It shouldn't be shocking that, that the bar of, of how far a woman has to go until she's finally accepted by society, it never ends. It just gets higher. Because it's no substance. Thirdly, what other organization on earth holds husbands accountable to how they treat their wives? We reject adultery, we reject pornography, 
violence, aggression, selfishness, laziness, unkindness. And instead of accepting what's accepted by culture, we commend your husbands to lay down their lives for you. Which organization of, on earth of men, of men, meets together with other husbands so that we may encourage one another not to be harsh with our wives, to study, to study the word of God rigorously, just for a glimpse in order to, to just learn a bit more how to nourish and cherish our wives so they feel loved. For men meet together to pray for the success and betterment of their wives. And what other organization on earth when men fail to do so are held accountable by another group of men to confess their sins and to ask their wives for forgiveness? What organization on another champions women greater than that? Loved ones, the church was never intended to oppress women. It has been instructed to lay down their life for them. And if men submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ, we will do just that. We will champion our women. As gospel citizens, we have the ultimate example of a man who championed his bride. And the way that he did it was by laying down his life for her. Because of that, it would be unwise for us to leave the Sunday morning of worship on the Lord's day without reminding ourselves that the sins we've committed throughout this past week are forgiven by grace through faith, in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And on top of that, I hope that you would be reminded this week of the power and sufficiency of Christ's blood, which is provided to cleanse your conscience, to remove the guilt that Christ died for, as well as when the accuser comes to remind you of your sin, that the blood of Jesus Christ would speak louder. Remember with all of your heart, we do not find our identity in our past, nor do we find our identity in what we do. We find our identity and our worth in Christ alone. And therefore, may we walk in that truth by word and deed throughout this next week and live our lives to the glory of God as those he has redeemed. Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, God, I, I pray that dear, no matter what your word calls us to do, that it would not be a burden, but it would be a joy, and that there would even be a visible distinction, tangible, to see the difference between the local church 
and society. That it would make sense. And that is the church. We would not try to be conformed into the image of society, but you would continually, by the power and work of your Holy Spirit, conform us into the image of Jesus Christ, your Son. God, we need help with that because we ain't doing it on our own. God, remind us of your gospel. Remind us that you've adopted us, that you've redeemed us, and that you're recreating us, and that you're recreating a new place for us where none of the other junk is going to exist. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.